Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I am your co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And I am your other co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman. A few things that we need to discuss before we get into our recap and reviews. Um, First, uh, we want to shout out Generations of X guest, Cena Grace, who released a new variant cover for issue three of his image series, Getting It Together, featuring RuPaul's Drag Race star, Dax exclamation point in costume as Shade, aka Dark Fail, on the cover. And this is just so fabulously shady. I'm totally on board with the idea of Cena using uh, his iconic Marvel creation to sell copies of his indie comic. Um, I mean, Marvel's not using her, so somebody somebody needs to use Shade. Um, yeah, so there's only 150 copies that were printed. Uh, Cena has told us that over half of those have been sold already. So if you're interested in getting the latest appearance of Shade, a.k.a. Dark Veil, you can head to cenagrace.bigcartel.com and snag your copy today. Yeah, and I believe Cena told us that Dax is the first drag queen to be on the cover of a comic book. Isn't that- I don't know that we've been able to verify that, but I can't, I did a little bit of research before I just talked out of my ass here. And it does, it does look like, I can't find anybody. I can't find- Yeah, we're not, we're not claiming, you know, like, let's just be very clear. Regardless if it's the first or the second or the third, having a drag queen on the cover of a comic book is huge for representation. And we are huge and we're just so happy to see Dax on there. And, you know, Cena kind of gave us a heads up when we interviewed him. He was here like, are we done recording? Okay, now let me show you something really cool. So it's just so great to see that. Yeah, it's so great to see it. And, you know, I've been a huge fan of Dax ever since she walked in the workroom on Drag Race and that Mohawk Storm inspired get up. I was like, I'm a fan of that person. I love them. Yes, Um, yes. It was exciting. It's exciting. I've definitely already ordered my copy. So uh, in other news, uh, X-Men spinoff book, Children of the Atom by Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang has been delayed for a second time. Uh, First, it moved from, I know, boo. Uh, First, it moved from April 2020 to January 2021, back in September. But now it's been pushed to March Just last week, we actually speculated that this cast might be the shadowy silhouettes behind Cyclops and Marvel Girl on the Reign of X teaser, but it looks like we're going to have to wait just a little bit longer to find out if if that's truly them or not. We've said it once. We'll probably say it a million more times over the course of this podcast. We really, really loved that Storm issue of Ten of Swords that Vita Ayala wrote. We're really looking forward to reading their takeover of New Mutants. Their first issue of that comes out tomorrow. Uh, Lots of exciting things happening for them at Marvel right now. And I guess we'll just have to be patient before we get to that next chapter. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not, I love Vita. I think their work is great. Again, to reiterate what you're saying, that Storm and Shuri scene was phenomenal. It is a breakout scene from Ten of Swords. However, I didn't know they were the writer for it until maybe like two weeks ago. And that makes me a little bit more excited for Children of the Atom, but Upon solicitation, I was not excited 
for Children of the Atom. I, I'm, I have an open heart. I'm personally not excited. So, no, it being delayed is neither here nor there for me. Right, right. No, and I, I, I'm with you on that. I really didn't have a lot of feels one way or, or, or the other for it. Um, if I had to pick, I would probably say that I wasn't excited and I wasn't prior to us planning to do this podcast. I, I wasn't really even planning on picking it up. Um, but, you know, now we read everything, so I'm going to read it. And knowing that Vita is the writer uh, has definitely made me more excited for it. So I guess I'm just, you know, I have muted enthusiasm, but uh, hopefully there'll be, there'll be some surprises. I was, I, I, I had the same sort of enthusiasm for the uh, relaunch of Sword that we'll be talking about a little bit yeah. later, and those expectations were surpassed. So I'll say yeah. that for then. We haven't talked about it at, at, at all at this point, so I don't want to spoil my own uh, <laughs> thoughts on it. But suffice to say, I've I've been surprised by X books I'm not enthusiastic about before. It's like okay, so as we mentioned in our intro a little bit earlier, we do have a ton of non mutant news related to the MCU that I know Dayspring is super excited to share. So. Let's not waste any time. Dayspring, what's going on? Yeah, so revealed during the Walt Disney Company's 2020 Investor Day presentation, Kevin Fahey opened the gates and broke the internet by telling us about a bunch of new content that's coming to the MCU. We knew about some of this stuff. Others are about to debut, but there's a lot of new stuff that just has us really giddy for the future of the MCU. So for Disney Plus, WandaVision... Ironheart, Armor Wars, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, Hawkeye, Guardians of the Galaxy, Holiday Special, I Am Groot, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, and Secret Invasion. And then on the movie end, we're getting Shang-Chi, The Eternals, Ant-Man 3, Quantum Mania, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Widow, Blade, Black Panther 2, and they will not be recasting T'Challa, and Captain Marvel 2. And that and that's all great, but the biggest surprise, of course, that had the internet on fire was that they're rebooting one of the Marvel Fox properties, Fantastic Four. And I, I know, you're a big Fantastic Four guy. I, I love the Fantastic Four, and I just, I can't wait to see what's happening here. But even more news, and although not addressed in the presentation, I just want to be clear about that, Kevin Feige did not address this in the presentation. It's just multiple sources are confirming that Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Kirsten Dunst, Jamie Foxx, and Alfred Molina are all in various levels of negotiations to return for Spider-Man 3 slash Doctor Strange 2. And holy frack, I just, that is mind-boggling to me interesting enough there was no mention of the mutants or x-men no mention at all um you know and that that number one that's a a ton of news and i i i'm super excited for all of it but of course being a huge x-men fan um there not being anything at all x-men related in those announcements leads me to believe that 2021 is going to be the big year for x-men announcements oh i agree the fact that they weren't mentioned speaks volumes of what they're probably planning for the x-men oh yeah it's going to be a complete once the x-men are here you know we know um we actually did an interview that we have coming out later this week which we'll tease at the end but um from an interview that we that we have done 
Um, we've been told that the X-Men animated series is pulling in damn near Mandalorian numbers. Obviously, I'm super excited for so much of this stuff, um, most especially She-Hulk with Tatiana Maslany. I'm really glad to finally have that bit of news confirmed. And I, I'm really glad Mark Ruffalo is on board too. Um, you know, I think Samuel L. Jackson leading a secret invasion series is going to be the shit. Um, and kind of like with Falcon and, and Winter Soldier, I'm excited to see more secondary characters like War Machine step up and, and fill that void left by, you know, the lead characters like Iron Man and, and Captain America. And, you know, you know me, I, I'm, I've always been a fan of, of the side characters. So I'm ready to just sort of sit back and enjoy the fact that, that we're going to be getting all of this uh, super diverse Marvel content. Yeah. And I thought that WandaVision trailer was so awesome. I didn't so realize, so good. I didn't realize the quality of storytelling and cinematic magic they were going to bring to this. And regardless of how we feel about Wanda personally, because that could be a little schism between us, I think it's good television. It looks so good. But I'm so excited for Emma Stone to be coming back. I think, oh my gosh, is she going to be Spider-Gwen? That for me would just be boom there. Well, I, you know, obviously I would love to see Emma Stone as, as Spider-Gwen, but she's currently pregnant. So I'm, I'm not sure if they're filming now how that would work. Yeah, well, is she filming? I don't know if she's coming back for Doctor Strange 2, which is filming later this year, or for Spider-Man. The reports have been unclear, but hey, Gal Gadot did it while she was pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And, and Halle Berry was flying around on a wire for, for Days of Future Past. So definitely, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, pregnancy sh- is going to hinder it. I'm just wondering if it'll, no, if it'll happen. We'll see. No, it's a safety concern. It's a legit safety concern. But yeah, let's see where it goes. I'm excited. Let's see. I would, obviously, I would love it. Um, well, yeah, you know, that's obviously uh, a lot of freaking news and certainly the potential for all these uh, Spider Man legacy actors returning for a shot in the MCU is definitely, definitely exciting. But we are, of course, an X-Men podcast. I, I don't know if you know that. Know that <gasps> are we? Oh, my God, we are. We are. Uh, yeah, so I do want to sort of dive in and speculate whether, you know, all of this returning cast uh, has any implications for the MCU debut of The Mutants. So, Let's just sort of talk about it and start there. Um, what do you think? Do you we, we, we know we're getting MCU Deadpool. Deadpool 3 yeah. has been announced. Deadpool. And presumably, most of that cast will be left intact. But what, what, what do you think this means for like people from, from the team movies? Do you think we're going to be seeing folks like Hugh Jackman or James McAvoy in, in Doctor Strange 2? Well, here's the thing. I think, yes. If they're going to do a multiverse story... I want the X-Men to play in that sandbox. And I think there's some actors like Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Holly Berry, Bamka, of course. They all deserve to come back. If you're bringing back Tobey Maguire, I mean, the X-Men were the leaders for the superhero genre before that. And look, I love me some Batman and Robin. I really do. But the Joel Schumacher movies... It, it was almost a nail in the coffin for the franchise. And if it wasn't for that X-Men one, you know what I mean? Like we wouldn't have, yeah, no, totally. we wouldn't have the MCU. Obviously I, my question for you is, you know, we know that Wanda is going to have a huge part to play in all this. And you're obviously a, a huge fan. <laughs> um, assuming that we do get any of the Fox X-Men, would you rather see her alongside Ian McKellen Magneto, Michael Fassbender Magneto or both? 
Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I do have very complicated feelings and I don't want to jump the gun in our conversation, but taking your question for exactly what it is, I wouldn't mind seeing her with Ian McKellen because I feel like Michael Fassbender yeah. is still a little too <laughs> young to be Elizabeth Olsen's father. Fine from a multiverse, whatever. Who cares about that? I just, I don't think visually it will look right. I think that for me, right. the, the legacy of it would be Ian McKellen. But again, this is assuming that they're going to crack open that those multiverses to the Fox movies and we're going to get, you know, the X-Men. So again, I want them to play in that sandbox because the mutants deserve that. But I do want everything to be rebooted. I do want a hard reboot. I was going to say like, ideally no Fox X-Men at all in big roles. Like we can peek through one of Dr. Strange glowing portals, maybe get a moment with Magneto and Wanda or something here. But I honestly have no desire to see Hugh Jackman headlining these goddamn films. Yeah, I don't either. I think it's time for another, another actor to take on Wolverine. We've seen that they can do that with the Fantastic Four. This is going to be their third reboot. Spider-Man has had three reboots. Great. And X-Men has only had the prequels. They haven't had a hard reboot. And I, I feel they can get away with it. There's no reason why we need to have Hugh Jackman around for like 10 films and everyone worrying, oh my God, is he getting too old for the role? You know, blah, blah, blah. Even though it's absurd because Hugh Jackman is looks wonderful, but... You know, I think we, we should get the mutants a fresh start. Yeah, and I mean, we've, we've already done Old Man Logan, so we can't yeah. even, we can't do I, that. And we've done Days of Future Past, we can't do that. So like old, the old Wolverine stories at this point have been told. So we don't, we don't need that from Hugh Jackman. Um, so one of, the, one of the things I do want to talk to you about the Fox films um, is the New Mutants. Of course, that film yeah. is the last of all of the Fox X-Men films, uh, and it just came out this year. We both waited uh, until it was available on demand uh, streaming for to watch it because you know we're we're safe folks we're not we're not going to go catch the legacy virus in a movie theater at this point but well um, even if i wanted to well even if i wanted to the theaters in my neighborhood have remained closed so even if you wanted to you couldn't have I, i'm just a wuss i didn't want to so <laughs> um because you know here in texas we we don't like to fully shut anything down um, <laughs> but no but no i i wanted to get we haven't really discussed that film yeah. on on the show and this seems like a, a really good time to do so what what kind of are, were your thoughts uh, on the New Mutants movie? And, you know, since it's so fresh and new to all of us, do you think any of that is worth uh, dropping into the MCU outright? I think it was unfair what the fan reaction has been to that movie of people being like, oh, it's not good or oh, whatever. And it's just not performing well because I thought it was a very, it was a stellar cast. Yeah. I feel it was just a marketing for it. I think you needed a lamb for the slaughter. They wanted the Hollywood wanted to test if people were coming out to, to see a brand new movie. And New Mutants was one of those, unfortunately. I think if it had just dropped during Comic-Con, like originally rumored that they were going to drop out the panel, it would have had so much hype. It would have been number one, you know, video on demand or, you know, if it was on Disney Plus, whatever it would have, whatever it would have been. I just don't feel like it was given the proper shot. Now, how do I feel about the movie personally? I thought the cast was wonderful. My God, Magic was phenomenal. Danny Moonstar, Cannonball, like Sunspot, 
everyone brought their A game to the movie. And I, and I think it's unfortunate that there were some casting mishaps. I feel it was unfortunate that the director was opening his mouth and talking about things he shouldn't have. But removing all of that aside, the movie is good. It's not bad. And I'm surprised that Kevin Feige didn't rework it for a much larger narrative or, or try to place in a much larger issue, which was a rumor that he was eliminating all of the X-Men references to make it part, or at least keep it vague enough. Like the second Hulk movie, like the Hulk reboot, where yeah. it was kind of like vague for a second there. Is it part of the MCU or not? You know, obviously yeah. it's confirmed now. I thought they were going to do something like that, but it is a hard Fox X-Men property. It yeah, might. yeah. And, you know, I, I sort of agree with your assessment. I thought that, that the cast was great, aside from some uh, unfortunate casting decisions. Um, Sunspot and Cecilia Reyes, of course, um, should be Afro Latinx, and they they are not. Um, but they still, both, you know, especially uh, Henry Zaga, he, he captured uh, the essence of, of the character. Um, I appreciated that, of course. Um, I, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was a good movie. I, like I said, I love the cast. I think that there was some silly stuff in there. Um, I think Danny, you know, the thing that instantly springs to mind is uh, Danny is upset and confused. So she runs to the top of a clock tower and is going to jump off immediately. Like, I think that's a little bit melodramatic. I don't yeah. think that that kind of was earned. But aside from little moments like that, I think it was well done. I thought everybody's uh, powers uh, were done really well in live action. And I love, of course, I loved its connection to the Essex Corporation um, and X23, all of that. And that, um, that's about it. Like those, that's, that's about the, 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 the long and short of my, of my thoughts on it is that there are things that I would enjoy. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't actually mind seeing that cast again, maybe continued as a Disney plus series. It would obviously need to be reconfigured to fit uh, within the MCU. But I, you know, those are really the only things I would want to see crossover in any real, you know, way beyond just a cameo. Otherwise, just wipe the slate clean, you know? Just wipe yeah. the slate clean. I would have liked to have seen John Hamm's Sinister. He was cast in the role, we know, and I think his scenes were cut. You know, looking at the movie, there were some big plot holes that I just, I didn't quite understand. Like, why didn't Magic just teleport out, you know, from the facilities? I mean, I think the obvious answer is that Dr. Reyes, her powers were greater than theirs. So that's fine. But even when she was knocked out, why were her powers still, why were the shields still up? Stuff like that. You hit it on the nail there. When, when Danny went to the clock tower to commit suicide, it wasn't an earned plot point and it just felt melodramatic. But that all being teenager. said, but that all be, I feel like this was a great first draft. If they would have just gone in, done another draft, I thought the cast was great. It was it was a fun movie. You know, I wish it had come out in July during Comic-Con and it would have been like a fan service. Like would have repositioned this as, hey, this is the last like Fox movie. We're going to give you guys a treat. Here it is because there's a global pandemic and we miss you guys. Right. And it, this is a show of good faith. So, right. Yeah. Right. That's well, it. to be perfectly honest with you, I think it probably wound up being more of a box office hit than it would have been otherwise because it was no <laughs> competition. <laughs> yeah, I, I follow a lot of like the movie industry, actually. And a lot of people were like, yeah, it, it, there was no competition, but that means there's no race. I think it pulled in. I'm forgetting the, the numbers it pulled in, but it wasn't, it, you know, it, it wasn't good. And 
I just wish it wasn't the the lamb that was being slaughtered for Hollywood. Right. It deserved so a little better. We're saying so the, the the final verdict on New Mutants is we could take it or leave it in the MCU. I really want to see Anya Taylor Joy back. I you know what? I'm gonna be very fiercely defensive of that. I thought she was great according to imdb pro she is number one on the star starometer right now <laughs> she's uh, having so, her minute you know disney's gonna have a little bit of a more difficult time bringing her back for any any future installments after after queen's gambit i think yeah i'm sure there's some executive right now who's you know blowing up someone's you know inbox on how to get her back because she's having her moment and well deserved I like well deserved. Well deserved. Yeah, I, I I definitely loved her as well. So, um, moving back to the to the broader topic of existing Fox X Men in the MCU, if you could pick three characters to, oh, to, to cameo, cameo in the MCU, and I'm talking just a cameo because again, we have established we don't have any desire to have these guys as headliners. What three characters? And I know at least one, maybe two would you like to see? Okay, okay. I love this question and I'm gonna give you a really big answer. So I feel that the people who deserve it, the people who truly deserve it are Hugh Jackman and Holly Berry. I think they were kind of like the faces of the franchise, you know, in addition to Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. But I feel like Wolverine and Storm, they, they're very visible and they have that star power. So I would love them to come in, maybe during Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, who the fuck cares? I don't care where they show up, just I want them in there. And I want everything to just get so blown out of proportion that reality is literally breaking apart and the world goes white hot. And Famka, as White Phoenix, has to come in and restore the MCU. That's how Boom. I Boom, right there. That sounds phenomenal. You know, I, I knew that Famka was going to be at the, at the top of your list. You, you, kept me, you kept me waiting there. You <laughs> gave me Hugh Jackman and Holly Berry first. I'm like, uh, where are we going with this? But um, yeah, no, I, I agree with those choices. I think Holly Berry is a kind of a controversial choice. Uh, just because she's not beloved in the, the role of Storm at all. But well, she's not beloved. And I said this the other day to someone. I, I get it. It was, you know, it wasn't Storm on screen. It wasn't Holly Berry's interpretation of Storm. It's Holly Berry as Storm. And I just, she was a woman of color. She led a franchise. I'm very proud of that fact for her. And I, I feel like other male superstars like Ryan Reynolds and like Tom Cruise all can get away with that. The writers had no idea what to do with her. And none. And, you know, by the time we got to X3, her star power had just grown to a point that it was a J-Law thing where they have to make her front and center. But I think Kevin Feige could give a second opportunity for her. And I, and I, and I think she, she has that star power, at least to draw in curiosity. Again, but I mean, I would have Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen as well, but I'm just thinking Hugh Jackman, just X-Men who are going to fight Hugh Jackman, right. Holly Berry. And then Gene saving the world. Pomka saving everything. If it were me, if it were me, I agree with your three picks, uh, Holly, Hugh, uh, and Pomka. I would add James Marsden to the list. Oh, James. Uh, he never got anything to do as Cyclops. So if, that, if there is a charge of the original Fox X-Men uh, leading into battle or something, it should absolutely be James Marsden, Cyclops, leading that. Um, and just overall, I think 
I think if I think the cast of the first X-Men live action film, I think all of those actors, if we're going to reference those films, those are the those are like the six actors I would like to see. Um, you know, Hugh, Hallie, Famke, James, Ian, Patrick, maybe Rebecca Remain. She never really got anything to do as Mystique. I, I'd say you give me those seven people in a cameo, show them a big battle between those X-Men and the, that faction of the Brotherhood. Uh, that, would, that would be the perfect little cameo for me. I would throw in Anna Paquin because I feel that Rogue started off as this bashful teenager and should have had growth throughout the movies. And I think Anna Paquin has the acting chops and to, to portray a very sassy Southern belle, hmm, like her role in True Blood. So mm. I, I would have loved to have seen that evolution. I thought we were gonna get a glimpse of that in Days of Future Past, not an extension of who she was. And I feel Rogue was mismanaged and you had a fantastic actress. So I would, I would also throw Rogue in there. I wouldn't <laughs> throw Rogue in there just because we would have to establish that the character has grown and changed. And since I only want these to be like cameos, I, 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 I take her leave her, take her leave her. Wait, 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 wait. Can we talk about cameos? Can okay. you imagine? Wait, can you imagine if Doctor Strange opened up his portal and Fanola Hughes in her wig and thigh high boots came? I would drop dead. I mean, well, depending if I'm in the theater, I'll drop dead in the theater, but chances are I might be home on my couch. Um, I would. <laughs> just fall over dead wherever I was. I would live for that moment. Um, the only thing I will say is if they're going to bring back Fanola and Hallie, my God, get them some better wigs. Come on, get them some better wigs. Monstrosities. Oh uh, yeah, no. So that's pretty much my thoughts on it. You know, like in, in, in a nutshell, recast them for the main story, open a portal to the original cast, let them wave at the camera and let's move on. Let's put these Fox X-Men films in the rear view where I believe they belong. And listeners listening at home, if you have any ideas on who you want to see come back into the MCU, I know we asked on our Instagram, but feel free to DM us. Give us your thoughts. We love talking to all of you and we want to hear some of your fan theories. Shall we dive into some reviews? I'm so excited for this week's books. I, yes, oh absolute 100 to, what, you, you are too? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm glad you're really excited because last night I couldn't sleep thinking about us recording and like everything I wanted to say. Is that why you're so slow and tired this morning? Oh, I hit the bottle last night with my primos. So <laughs> well, let's get you some coffee and dive into it, shall we? So to be perfectly honest with you all, I kind of feel like uh, the old lady from Titanic right now, because like, if you asked me how long I've been waiting for this issue of Marauders, I would look at you and be like, it's been 84 years, <laughs> but I digress. No further waiting is required. So let's dive right into it. We are discussing Marauders number 16, written by Jerry Dugan with art by Stefano Caselli and colors by Edgar Delgado. And you guys, the recap for this issue tells you everything you need to know about what we're going to be doing here today. Kate Pride was murdered. Sebastian Shaw did it. Time for the Red and White Queens to take the Black King. Love it. I love a good succinct yes. intro. It's all so here we go. We open to a conversation between Storm and Bishop in his fabulous red costume. Bishop presents Storm with evidence he recovered from Kate's remains that suggest it was Sebastian Shaw who killed her. 
Obviously, Storm has major history with both characters and has always been incredibly maternal to Kate. So it looks like there's going to be another new player added to our long-brewing revenge plot. Jumping ahead to a wide shot of Hellfire Bay with Emma and Kate arriving at the gates of Blackstone via fabulous horseback. The tournament may have pushed this confrontation, but today there will be a reckoning at Hellfire Bay. Inside Blackstone, Shaw is enjoying an evening alone with his whiskey when he is rudely interrupted by a knock at the door and two punches to the face, courtesy of our Red Queen. No need to open the door, dear Sebastian. Emma and Kate will be happy to hold hands and phase through it. I literally love these couple of panels with Emma and Kate holding hands. Without words, Dugan and Caselli managed to give us this amazing final evolution in the Frost Pride relationship, where it's clear they are now trusting partners and maybe even friends. Zap <gasps> Shaw with a power dampener so that, if necessary, they can beat the shit out of him without his kinetic energy absorption powers getting in their way. As Shaw recovers from a swift kick to the gut, Emma and Kate begin to admire his expensive whiskey collection and talk business. They know he has undermined Krakoa by murdering Kate and working with the Verindi brats. We then get a really great scene where Kate just starts destroying some of Shaw's expensive booze and his reaction prompts her to say, perhaps men are too emotional to lead. Ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. This is the kind of Kate pride swagger that I appreciate. Anyway, Sebastian has had about enough and wrongly states that he doesn't need his mutant powers to handle the situation. Now would be a really good time to remind everyone that many moons ago in the 1980s, Kate was thoroughly trained by Ogin, one of the Marvel Universe's premier ninja masters, and so she manages to take Shaw down Xena style with one quick jab to the throat. Bitchin'. Anyway, now that we have his full attention, Emma informs Shaw that unless he allows them full control... Over his shady dealings, he'll be joining Sabretooth in the bottomless pit of Krakoa. Still thinking he has even an ounce of control over the situation, Shaw declines and attempts to escape, but nah. Kate catches up to him and casually tosses him out a second floor window. Oh, hi, Glob. Bye, Glob. Completely oblivious as to why the two women are so aggrieved, Shaw says they should be thanking him because no one was sure whether or not Kitty was actually a mutant when Emma gave her a seat at the Quiet Council table. Smack! Call her Kate, Emma interrupts, before Shaw finishes by saying he killed her and she was able to be resurrected. Therefore, he freed her from doubting whether or not she's a mutant and begins asking forgiveness. Hold that thought, though. There's another aggrieved party and they make their presence known. It's Storm. No, wait. It's Storm with Lockheed, who has negotiated his own revenge settlement with Emma. And that settlement is Shaw's right eye which the dragon promptly rips out of socket and spits into the fire. Nice. So, the punishment has been set. The Black Bishop, Shinobi Shaw, will now serve the countries that recognize the sovereignty of Krakoa, and the Red Queen, Kate Pride, will now service the Black Market. But the score has not been settled just yet, as the ladies in Lockheed have given Shaw a drink laced with the Verindi poison. There's a moment here that I know Dayspring wants to address, so I'll leave that for him. But the poison does not kill Shaw, it just paralyzes his body and slows him down. The ladies fetch him an eye patch in one of Xavier's old wheelchairs, and it's off to the quiet council meeting. First order of business, suggesting names to fill the council vacancies left by Jean and Apocalypse. But, uh, Emma, should we not discuss what has happened to Sebastian first? No, thank you, says Emma. But it's brought to a vote anyway, because the stodgy old men of the quiet council can't abide not knowing everyone's business. So Xavier, Magneto, Sinister, Exodus, and Nightcrawler all voted to know what the fuck happened. But sadly for them, Emma, Storm, Kitty, and Shaw have no interest in sharing. And with Mystique's vote, 
The motion is blocked. And with that, our wounded Sebastian dons an evil grin and lets the council know that despite his body being hurt, his spirit has not been dimmed. That is where the issue ends. A lot happened. Not a lot happened at the same time. This was a credibly character-driven issue. I loved it. But first, Dayspring, tell us your thoughts. Well, I thought this issue was 99% perfect. That 1% was when Emma said, my sister Cordelia will return to Krakoa before you do, Shaw. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm. hmm, Cordelia isn't dead. And I remember thinking when we got Christian and they were all in Krakoa, I was like, oh, I wonder if Cordelia's there. And the one sister, the one Frost sister who is dead is Adrian Frost, who Emma famously killed at the end of Generation X. So it just, uh, it just feels like an editorial mistake. And of course we can sit here and we can wave our hand and say Cordelia died off panel. Fine, sure. That's what but Wikipedia it, thinks. That's what Wikipedia thinks, but it just feels like an editorial mistake. And because yeah, we yeah. haven't, I feel that Emma's main grievance is with her older sister, Adrian. And that's it. Other than that, Blink, first of all, I just want to say your recap, I loved it. And, and it just got me even more giddy for what we just read. It was a flawless issue. I love seeing Emma and Kitty excuse me, Emma and Kate. Her name is oh. Kate. Oh, he just stopped me. I love seeing them facing together, holding yes. hands. And you said you, you hit it. I was going to say this, the evolution of their friendship. And we started seeing that in Whedon's run. And I'm so glad we've reached it to this point. Yeah, it's so clear that they, it, first of all, these characters should respect each other. They have been through hell and back together both of them saved the other's ass a handful of times with a snark and a smile, like with some snark yeah. and a smile. Like it's, it's, they've always had this sort of adversarial relationship, but it has slowly transformed over the years from actual adversaries to just two friends being snarky with each other. Kind of, kind of like us, if you will. Yeah. You're the kitty. Call me Kate. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I think it's, really nice to, to to have these two female characters who have really been pitted against each other for for so long and the the default story between them is that that kate hates emma and that is just the story that has been told over and over and over um for decades now to see it finally progress past that to this point where they can just be two badass characters together taking down you know, one of the most notorious villains in, in, in X history. I, I loved it. I just think it's, it's such a, a, a testament to, it's a testament to the environment in, in, in which the X books exist now, where things are actually being allowed to evolve and change past the status quo. I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. 1000%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice. Like, you know, Hickman is our is our head of X, so I want to give him some credit, but a lot of the credit probably has to be given to writers, the writers coming up with this stuff who are utilizing the continuity and the character history that already exists and not exactly turning it on its head, but just sort of letting it evolve and turn into yeah. 
this this great moment for for both characters that really resets their their status quo together. Emma looked so beautiful in this issue. Both, I mean, everyone, even Sebastian Shaw looked beautiful. And I'm talking about this from just the artistic point of view. I I loved his outfit when he was sitting there yeah. and like the ruffled shirt with like I'm assuming it's black velvet, but it's fine, just a black coat. I loved it. And Storm walking in, like. Storm just looked exactly like what she was, a goddess just walking into the room. And then, of course, it's all about Lockheed. And I thought it was... The only thing I'm going to say, too, that I just... I'm having a hard time wrapping my thoughts around. It's what's going on in mutant society where Sebastian Shaw can just come in on a wheelchair. Like, he's a member of the government. And are we going to talk about it? No. Okay. Fine. And that's it. So it just... Hey, they put it to a vote. They no, put it I, to a vote. Well, I agree, but like still, like this man, like something happened. You live in a society where you can heal or resurrect. Why wouldn't someone be like, we won't ask questions, but can we send him off to the healing gardens? Like I get they addressed it there, but I'm just surprised that there's no police, you know, system yeah. in well, play. That that's kind of like what where I'm going. I, I'm just trying to understand what it means to be part of mutant society. That's it. Here's the thing. I suspect that because it's coming from a trio of iconic, respected leaders within the X-Men, like Storm, Emma, and Kate, someone who is tasked with like investigating that, like Sage, who also has her own history with Sebastian Shaw, is kind of just going to be like, yeah, yeah, no. I don't think an investigation into that would would get too far. But before I get we get too far from it, we've talked a lot about the Kate, the progression of Kate and Emma. I do want to add in that Storm herself has a very storied history with Emma, and we've gotten um, you know some some examples of them working together uh, over the years since Emma has become an X Man. But this is like the first one the first example of Storm and Emma working together where I don't feel like Storm is kind of an unwilling participant in it. She's, mm-hmm. she wants to be here. She wants to be on this team. She wants to, to, to help these, these two women seek retribution against Shaw. I think it's nice. I it just having a panel with Emma and Kate and Storm where they're all on the same side, nobody's snarking each other. Nobody's trying to, to, to undermine anybody. They're all on the same page. Uh, I found it, honestly, pretty empowering. I agree with you. And it's so great to see them united against Shaw and delivering justice. And I love the line that Kate said, which was, men are too emotional to lead. That was great. That was wonderful. Loved it. I was so excited after reading it because I just wanted to talk to you about it. Yeah, yeah. And we, we, we held it together all this time and managed, this is the first time we, we've talked about it. And, you know, um, usually when we get big Emma Frost issues, we're like texting each other within minutes. So mm-hmm. sitting on, honestly, what is probably the best Emma issue of the last couple of years, uh, if not the last half decade or so. <laughs> Um, it was a real chore not to immediately send you a text like, oh, my God. I mean, you were the only one I wanted to talk to about that scene. And I, when we were talking about that minor like, on our Insta story, I was like, I'm going to post a minor spoiler. And you're like, I'm reading it right now. So and of course, a minor 
spoiler was I was very upset that it's Cordelia mentioned there or not and not Adrian. So, so my last, we, we, like I said, we could talk about this issue all day, but we've got, we've got another issue to discuss. And I think we all have, we both have a lot of thoughts on that one as well. So I want to make sure it gets its due. The last thing I want to uh, pose about this is, is about that, that little Cordelia mistake. Do you think that they are going to fix that in future printings or in the trade? Or do you think we are editorials just going to roll with it and Cordelia is going to be dead now? I feel like they haven't ever revised things, even when they come out in trades or digital release. I don't, maybe grammatical errors. I don't, I I know for Here Comes Tomorrow, I believe there was a version of Wolverine smoking a cigar and they omitted that in in later, in later iterations of that story. I don't know. But but to answer your question, I think Cordelia has now died off panel. Rest in peace, Cordelia. Damn. I, you know what? I want to see the Frost sisters reunite and they have Christian and let's see that family drama play out. Maybe that'll be Shaw's revenge is he'll get the two Frost sisters like resurrected and take on the spring side of the Quiet Council. Holy frack, can you please go write this book right now? That is a yep. wonderful. I love that. Yep. Unsold. Yep, check you later. I'm off to write a manuscript. Bye. Bye. No, no, I'll save that for later. Uh, so yeah, that's those are our thoughts yeah. on Marauders. Obviously, we loved it, but we've got a little bit more love to go around this uh, this episode. So do you want to take us yep. into our next review? Up next is issue one of Sword. Our writer is Al Hewing. The art is by Valerio Schidi, and the colors are by Marte Gracia. All right. So the issue kicks off with a quote from Abigail Brand, which reads, this is what comes next. It's a perfect way to start the series because we then open with a shot of Magneto arriving on Peak 7, a.k.a. the Sword Space Facility that Cable reactivated during Ten of Swords. Krakoan technology has been integrated on Peak 7, But that doesn't mean Magneto is just walking through the gates. Oh no, our boy is theatrical as fuck and he flew on his own using his powers to the station. So a little backstory, Abigail Brand resigned from her role as commander of Alpha Flight, feeling it wasn't being properly utilized. And since in Ten of Swords, the Krakoans were left with the space station and they had Brand's email, boom, welcome to the mutant space program i'll go over who's here and who's not and the division of the program once i'm done with my recap because i love the characters who have been assembled here but we find out that kid cable is head of security and magneto is there to inspect the facility while also moving it positioning it over krakoa agent brand is giving magneto the grand tour of the facility the first stop is the technology suite aka the red zone helmed by WizKid where we find out he's one of the six. So the way I kind of digested this information is that while the five have been the ones granting mutants eternal life, they're indirectly giving the mutant community the chance to explore mutant science in perpetuity. So essentially the six represent Krakoa's future. We then hit up the Diplomatic Suite 1, AKA the Stranger Room. Frenzy is training with a scroll named Pybok. Frenzy asks if Peak 7 should expect a visit from the Squirrel Emperor himself, a.k.a. 
Hulkling, and he says he's working on it, but there are certain issues that need to be ironed out. And Magneto is like confused. He's here like, what do you mean some issues? And Agent Brand explains that the Kree Scroll Alliance has made those civilizations equal to the galactic might of the Shi'ar Empire. And since the mutants have declared war on the emperor's mother-in-law, there's a little bit of diplomacy that needs to be worked out before they can expect Emperor Hulkling to grace the space station. Magneto then replies, ah, yes, Wanda, the pretender. The that pretender. He's so cold, man. Like, that was once your daughter, but at the very least, one of your founding brotherhood members. So, yeah, no no love for Wanda. And, and then the best part of this fucking issue happens. We hear someone shout out, Lord Magneto, and it's Fabian Cortez. Agent Brand throws major shade at him, apologizing to Magneto, saying it's slim pickings. But the ultimate shade comes from Magneto himself when he says, I remember the ponytail, mm, but what's your name again? And like, I, I couldn't believe this scene as it was unfolding. We I don't know a- her. Exactly. Magneto basically just, I don't know her. To her face. I loved it. Magneto um, carry over here. We, <laughs> we then head over to the jump suite, aka the launch pad, where we find out the teleport crew is ready to start a mission. Magneto is then floored when he sees Peeper on the station and says they need to get a beer and catch up because Peeper has some suggestions he wants to run by the council. And poor Fabian is so sad, which, you know, Brand says he's finally needed for something and he needs to get into position. So he, Vanisher, Lila Cheney, Amelia Vote, Blink, and Gateway start syncing their powers. And then we get a data page about mutant technology and how the Fastball special was the first example of mutant technology and it's evolved to the five resurrecting the dead. So the question that's posed within this data page is that now that the five have given mutants an infinite amount of time to explore their technology, what might mutants evolve to? The six is the first step in answering that question. So this is how the six work. The first stage circuit, the six require five mid to long range teleporters for a full retrieval. And currently those five teleporters are Lila Cheney, Gateway, Vanisher, Amelia Vote, and, and 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 who's the fifth? Who's the fifth? Blink. Uh, blink. Blink. Other teleport. Blink. Other teleporters can act as a backup, like magic. And then we get our second stage circuit, the six, and they're unified by the control. And the first stage circuit act as an anchor for the guide, allowing him to translocate the thing they're looking for of the second stage circuit while saving his energies for retrieval work. It's all very vague information that's given to us. So we're trying to piece this together, but let me give the breakdowns here. The control is WizKid with Forge as a backup and he aligns the mutant circuits in operation. The power is Fabian Cortez who provides the power boost required for the circuit operation and the backup is unrevealed. The shield, is armor with skids as a backup, providing shielding for the entire team. The guide is manifold with no backup assigned. 
His role is a bit cagey since some of the text is blacked out, but what I inferred, he navigates and forms something once they've arrived at their location. The eye is Peeper with a backup being Doc, and he's able to see things at a subatomic level. The Foundry, Risqué, with Zorn with a Z as backup. Her role is also cagey, but she provides shielding. So the portal opens up and the team goes on their retrieval mission and there's a narration that explains they're going into the elemental cosmic heart to the secret fires of the white hot room and they're going basically somewhere in the cosmos. And the issue ends with the team coming back, WizKid explaining they broke some laws but they have what they were looking for to which Agent Brand takes it and it's revealed to be that black diamond thingy Storm was holding in the Reign of X promo. So that's where the issue ends. I just want to dive in really quickly to the hierarchy of Peak 7. Our station commander is Agent Brand. Our station technologist is WizKid. Our logistics is Manifold. Our medical energy resources is Fabian Cortez. Our teleport team is Lila Cheney, Gateway, Vanisher, Amelia Vote, and, and who else? Did, did I get everyone again? Um, did I someone? Hmm. Oh, Blink. Blink, blink. Our ambassador for Peak 7 is Frenzy. Our ambassador in training is Armor. Kid Cable is security director. Random and Risqué are sub-directors of the security team. The psionic analysis is a mystery. Our visual analysis is Peeper. And the galactic ambassador is Pybok. So that's it. That's the issue. I fucking loved this issue so much but flink take it away what were your thoughts i loved it as well okay i am always a fan when somebody looks at the bigger picture of what mutants are capable of when they work in tandem together so pulling together a who's who cast of c and d list mutants and, and merging their powers together to have them achieve something um, bigger than any one of them could do alone, much, much like they did with the, the five on Krakoa. I, I love, I love, I love giving these lesser characters something really big to do. Um, you know, obviously the return of Blink is the uh, biggest bit of, of, of news for me. And I wanna do a little bit of speculation regarding that momentarily, but I also uh, am a big Frenzy fan. So I'm really, really happy to see her here. I have to give props on the, on the art because her costume is fabulous. Her Holy and frack, yes. are both wearing these like almost like three piece suit like like really high fashion X-Men costumes. Um, and I love that. I think they look tremendous. And I think it's an interesting idea to sort of, you know, costume these characters based on their rank and position. Uh, Fabian Cortez is a executive producer and <laughs> Frenzy is our main ambassador. So of course they are you know, dressed really nicely, whereas, you know, their subordinates are, are kind of just wearing like standard leather coat jackets and, and t-shirts and, and things like that. So I really like that visual distinction for the characters here. Um, I'm going to be honest, it's been a really, really long time since I've read Exterminators. So I don't 
have a whole lot of thoughts on on the character of Wizkid other than I'm really, really happy to see him. I don't I didn't read Hickman's Avengers, so I know next to nothing about Manifold. Uh, but the teleport team is iconic. Uh, Lila Cheney, at least one of our mutant pop stars is, is being utilized these days. Happy to see her here. <laughs> Always happy to see Gateway. But yeah, like I said, I do want to talk a little bit about Blink um, because we don't know which version of Blink we have here. Uh, Dayspring, which version do you think it is? And which version do you want it to be? Well, which version do I want it to be? I want it to be Age of Apocalypse Blink. But which version do I think it is? <laughs> of course, because you want the opposite. I do. The, like the Who do I think it is? I think after reading this issue, I think it's 616 Blink. So... I, I think it's 616 Blink and I want it to be 616 Blink because otherwise, what was the point of undoing her death? They undid her classic death in the Phalanx Covenant for, I'm not going to call Necrotia a cheap shot. It, it wasn't. Um, it, was a, it, it, it was an entertaining crossover. It's not among my favorites, but Blink really didn't have a lot to do within that crossover. And then her tenure with uh, the new mutants under Abnett and Landing was was so short-lived that I hardly see a point in her having been resurrected to this point. So um, I really hope it's her. I hope that they give her something to do. One of our followers, we actually posed this question uh, on Instagram. Who do you think it is and who do you want it to be? And one of our followers, uh, his handle is displayed once. He commented that maybe Age of Apocalypse Blink is the substitute for 616 Blink on the sword info pages. So yeah. we know that all of these teleporters have a backup. Maybe Blink's backup is Blink. Now I would I'm 100% down with that. I saw that comment too and I thought that was genius. And I I think that opens the door for larger questions about the resurrection protocols and what constitutes a clone is an alternate version you know 100% different person did they get resurrected I'm 100% down to see a story like that yeah definitely but, but yeah I thought you, you hit so many points that I'm kind of like seizing right now and I just want to say I agree with Fabian's look I thought he looks fucking fabulous he I believe the character claims to be of Spaniard royalty. So I just love him thinking he's regal as fuck and like no one likes him. And he just has this high opinion of himself. With Frenzy, I think she is also fierce. And I'm so glad to see her back in a meaningful way. We got a glimpse of how what a great character she was during Mike Carey's run, is specifically in Age of X. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've forgotten about Wizkid. <laughs> I loved his look in the OG X-Factor book. His design is so wonderful, but I love them showing a differently abled character and how strong and essential they are to a team. Yeah. And I love that he's using Xavier's old hover chair, but painted red. And that is the second reference to Xavier's old wheelchairs this week because obviously emma was like in marauders emma was like i'm gonna go fetch you in one of charles's old wheelchairs and bring you into the council but i'm so glad we have Wizkid there and i think since this relaunch i've just been thinking about it this the dawn of x and the reign of x relaunch has reintroduced me to characters that i probably just kind of dismissed and now i love like if you would ask me right now who are like my top x-men three of them would be doug Wizkid, and fabian cortez 
I just think they've been handled so well. I think their designs are on point. They're fun to look at. You know what that, and I'm sorry for the ramble here, but you know what really just making me so excited that I didn't know I needed? Not, not only did I not know I needed the return of these characters, I didn't know I needed to have a mutant space program. <laughs> and it makes sense because mutants were among the first to make contact with extraterrestrial life. And I, I just love that they have a program. I, I, did not un- I did not understand how much I wanted that. I'm right, no, and I'm with you. I really like the setup now that it's here, but I have to tell you one of the things that is kind of a letdown about all of this is that it does kind of feel, it doesn't come out of nowhere because of course we did have sword, uh, the sword station in Ten of Swords, but there was no indication that Krakoa was going to be taking it over yeah. once when, once the crossover ended, there was just, it was, we, we, we knew Sword was involved. The Vescora came and helped turn the tide of the battle. Um, all of that happened. We knew that, but then it just sort of flew off at the end of the crossover. And there was no indication that there was more to come. Um, so I do feel like the setup could have used a little bit of work. Like, I, I don't think we knew what to expect from this book because we didn't know to expect that the X-Men had actually taken over S.W.O.R.D. as a whole, as the program as a whole. Um, and I, I just, you know, are the world's nations that, that, that funded this huge, you know, space station however many years ago, are they really chill with the X-Men just coming in and being like, mm, this is ours now? Well, so I, I love that you brought up that point because one of the things I think this issue did was crack open how the rest of the world or how about this how the rest of the galaxy sees the x-men and i kind of like seeing well let's not say x-men the krakoans i kind of like seeing that so yeah i agree with you wholeheartedly like people are just okay with this massive station you know over krakoa like is that even i don't know how satellites or anything are, are positioned but is that safe that it's in that spot i i i have an open heart i think this was a wonderful debut issue Let's see where it goes. I do have one question for you. Yeah. One question. Who do you think Psy Analysis is? Ooh. Well, it's not Rachel because she has something to do. Emma has something to do. Jean has something to do. Who, what's, hmm, what telepath does not have anything to do right now? Um, I think my answer is going to be my same answer anytime you ask me what telepath do I want to give something to do? And it's going to be Monet. Give Monet something to do. Yeah, I. so I was thinking about this as well. And I feel given the cast, it may be a lesser known psychic. Like, I think so. Like Astrid Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but then I thought maybe Karma would be a really great character to have. I'm not saying she's lesser known, but I, I think she would be kind of fun to see. And, and if they're going to play the popularity card, I, I was thinking Kid Omega would play nicely in this book. Maybe one of the cuckoos, yeah. Yeah, you know, bring in one of the cuckoos. And then I thought, well, Jean, because she has that connection the, with the space station. So I, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. Disagree. I need to know, is it going to be an A-list or is it going to be a more obscure psychic? And, and that's where I would start like thinking. But I would love it if it was someone like Astrid Bloom, you know, of that caliber of like a forgotten psychic. And here we go. I mean, I would absolutely love it if it was Astrid Bloom and, and talk about forgotten characters. I don't think anyone outside of you and I even remembers that Astrid Bloom is Emma Frost's <laughs> actual personality. 
I don't think it's going to be M. M is just sort of my answer for, for, for everything. Right. Who do you want to do this, M? M, I want to be M. <laughs> I want M on the council. That's where my heart yeah, is. Same, same. So. I would rather that. Let's save it for that. Yeah. But I, I, I would say to your point that given who else is on this cast, it's not going to be an A-lister, I don't think. I think it's going to be a C or D level or F level. Yeah, I'm I'll be curious. I, I will have to say... Magneto is not a character that we get a lot of fun humanizing for. You know, he's been humanized basically his in, in, entire existence with his tragic background and family situation and things like that. But we don't get a lot of stories about Magneto's personal life and Magneto's friends. So I thought that that moment with him and Peepers, who was like his original stooge on Asteroid M decades ago... I, especially in the presence of Fabian Cortez, I thought that moment was so amazing and it For humanizes sure. Magneto in a way that we rarely ever have him humanized. You know, we see him as a person with friends, not as an angry dictator or leader or, or whatever the case may be. It, this is Magneto the human. And yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, and they, I think to that point, it fleshes out the dynamics between these characters. And they're not just yes. like these cutouts, like it's not all, you know, the acolytes, all of Magneto. It's Fabian was competing for attention. And Peepers, you know, just had something natural about him that Magneto and him can have this rapport. So I, I agree with you. The, talking about Magneto, I thought the art was beautiful. There were some panels with Magneto that he looked really weird to me. And it's, it's just like a minor note. Like he just looked really old in some of them. And I thought he was supposed to be at peak health. Not that. It's just, inconsistent. He's, How he's yeah. depicted is, is yeah. inconsistent. It's a minor, it's a minor, minor nitpicking thing in what I thought was a really great first issue. We are, we, we're so used to characters that haven't seen each other, you know, as far as we know, haven't seen each other in a while, just sort of getting thrown back together on panel and there not being any sort of actual reunion between them. So I just want to make note that for a change, the X-Books actually acknowledge that it's been a long time since these characters have seen each other and just gave us one or two panels where there was an actual oh. reunion. And I appreciate that. And I would love to see more of it. Well, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I think that was one of our grievances at the beginning of, you know, Dawn of X, which is these characters, like, I'm just picking the, the Summers family dinner. Vulcan's there, you know, and we have all three Summers brothers and, and dad is there. I wish we would have seen a little bit more of that reunion and it felt a little bit more stiff and animated and they came across, as you've said, they, they come across a little bit more like pod people, whereas here they feel fully fleshed out. Right. And I think that when you have books like this and you have Marauders out in the same weeks, any question that I may have had about, well, are these like pod people version of the X-Men have kind of been wiped away. There's so much yeah. good character moments in here and everybody's act, you know, acting as a human, everyone has, yeah. has actual feelings about, about what's going on. And that it's nice. It's nice to see. I think somebody must have from editorial must have passed a memo that, Hey, everyone's yeah. kind of acting really strange here. Maybe we should add a dash of warmth to these dynamics. Well, we know that's been one. That's not Hickman's strength. 
And I believe yeah. that was what some people were, when we were talking about how excited we are to get a Hickman relaunch back when this was initially announced, I feel a lot of the people on Reddit and, you know, in comments, et cetera, were like, Hickman's a great writer. He's a great world builder. However, he's very stiff to show characters interacting and stuff like that. And, you know, that's sort of, I can, I can understand now that we're really into his run. I, I definitely see where some things are stiff, but, Hey, I'm happy. I this is a great issue. I didn't know I needed it. I'm I'm good. I'm I'm golden. I'm smiling. Same, same. Yeah. This is again. This is one that I I, I wasn't necessarily even planning on buying because it's kind of um, outside of the remit of the usual X Men uh, books. But it's far more X Meny than I thought it was going to be, and it has far more characters that I care about than maybe the solicits led me to believe. So I'm stoked. I'm stoked to see where this goes. Uh, speaking of where it's going to go, I do have one final thought for you. Yeah, go for it. So after our, you know, last page splash page scene with our full cast staring straight into the camera with Bran holding that little black pyramid -y oh. thing, we have one more page with a quote from none other than Victor Von Doom. Mm. You have stolen the fire from heaven to hold in your hands. How could I object? I have done the same myself with one significant difference. I wore gloves. Be <laughs> careful. What do you think with all, you know, with the, with the outcry regarding Franklin being a mutant, with that Fantastic Four X-Men miniseries we all bought now sort of feeling obsolete, do we think that a quote from Dr. Doom in the first issue of a brand new X book is going to set up. Do you think that's setting anything up for us? Yeah, I saw that quote and I sort of dismissed it because I feel some of these quotes don't necessarily lead to anything, but Agreed. I think that's, I, I think that's a very valid point. The way, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to like segue from your question. The, the only thing that I, at the end of this issue speculated, like who can show up, was that Storm is holding that black diamond pyramid thing in the Reign of Axe promo. So I wonder if she's going to come in eventually. But to the question of the Fantastic Four, I would love it. I think that makes sense organically, given that uh, Hickman wrote that story for Doctor yeah. Doom. I would love to see it. That was certainly, the stakes are incredibly high if Doctor Doom is going to show up. But the pessimist in me is going to say no. I don't, the quotes just, a lot of these quotes just feel obsolete to me. I want it to, but I don't I, think so. I don't disagree. A lot of these quotes have definitely proven to be, you know, somewhat random and, and, and not exactly meaningful, but you actually bring up a really good point that I hadn't considered. It is Storm holding it in the Reign of X teaser. And Storm, of course, has huge history with Dr. Doom. So... Yeah. I think that, so for me, that actually just further implies that, that this is, that Dr. Doom may be coming and it's going to play off of his relationship with Storm. At least I hope so. Hey man, you're going to give me an issue with Storm, Dr. Doom, Fabian Cortez, Frenzy. I, I'm sold. That's it. WizKid, sold. Both blinks, both blinks. Both blinks. I'm sold 100%. Like this is, this has just made me even more excited for this book. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to, to where this is going. Al Ewing is one of those writers who um, he's not usually placed on, on books that, that I follow long term, but I've read some of his miniseries. I, I've given uh, his Loki a shot. I, I read that for a while. And I, I've 
he's never let me down. He's never let me down. So I'm confident. Um, I'm confident yeah. that this is going to be one of the more interesting, if not surprising, uh, X books from from Reign of X. I agree. He's a solid writer. Well, of course, we should acknowledge, as usual, that Juggernaut issue number four did come out next week and remind everyone that we will be tackling that as a whole once issue five is released in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about it all together. Um, I don't even have any previews or hints for you because I haven't actually read it yet because I kind of want to read it all together so that I can have it fresh in mind. But I am looking forward to discussing that with you all and uh, seeing what Juggernaut's flow might be in Reign of X. It's a great book. If you haven't, pick it up. Yeah, it's a really great book and we'll discuss it. And then this week we have we have another interview landing, which Link, do you want to introduce? Oh it- my God, I'm so excited. I'm so, 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 so excited. Like you guys have no idea. I have been on an X-Men, the animated series high for like the last month. Uh, not just from interviewing the Leewalds, but making the clips of the Leewalds and reliving... Uh, that interview, which was so amazing. Um, So we wanted to just sort of carry that forward. So we will be welcoming the incredible Larry Houston, who served as the storyboard artist and co-director for Pride of the X-Men, as well as producing and directing the iconic animated series alongside the Leewalds. Uh, It's a great interview. It's going to be two parts. We're going to have that first part uh, focusing on Pride of the X-Men dropping on Thursday, just a couple of days from now, uh, with the second part dropping shortly after. And again, this interview was amazing. We had such a great time talking to Larry. We could have talked to him all day. And I really, really can't wait to share it with you guys. We got a lot of great, maybe even exclusive information to share with you. Yeah, if you guys thought we broke the internet with Jean Grey's ponytail, we asked Larry some hardcore questions. And he gave us... He gave us some hardcore responses that we're so excited to share with you guys and we're all giddy for. So it'll be airing on Thursday. Tune in. All right. That wraps this episode. We'll see you guys in a few days. As always, I am the Uncanny Dayspring. And I'm the Adjectiveless Flinkman. And we'll see you guys on Thursday. Can't wait. See you Thursday.